Welcome to the Colonial Church STA podcast. The vision of Colonial Church is to build an exciting, vibrant, Bible-based church right here in the heart of St. Augustine, Florida. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you open with me to Revelation chapter 3. The AC's gone out and he's asking me to open to Revelation. What's really happening in church this morning? Revelation chapter 3. And if you're feeling extra spiritual today, why don't you put a marker in Psalm 92. And if you're really religious, really religious, Luke 18. You can put a marker in there too. But I'm excited to speak this morning. I'm excited to speak to our church every week. But man, summer is here. Summer is happening. Summer is well and truly happening at the moment. And uh, it's cool. I'm still getting used to summer. I hail from the southern hemisphere, so this time of year it's cold in Australia. It's cold, but it's Australia, so it's not really that cold, you know. It's like we say it's cold, but the truth is you could probably still go for a swim at the beach. You could probably still just stop complaining. But uh, summer, I love summer. I love what's happening in our church in summer. Even though it feels like maybe the attendance drops a little bit in summer, you're actually still growing as a church, which is cool. Still seeing many new people coming to our church, many new uh, people coming on the team. And just a quick praise report for everyone in church. This team night we had last week, we, got, we had them every three months, and they're just awesome culture nights, DNA nights, opportunities for Jill and I just to speak into the heart of our church, the people that are really locking arms with us when it, when it comes to the vision. But we had 102 people show up at the team night. So just serving team. And we worked it out that that was a big increase on what the size of our church was when we first started having church, which tells us this, the actual team is engulfing the size of what our church was back then, which is awesome. And so God's really doing something, so it's really, really cool. But um, who's ready for the Word? Revelation 3, I want to pick it up in verse 14. But Revelation, the book of Revelation, remember, is not a revelation of end times. It's not a revelation of craziness that's about to go down. Revelation is actually the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ. Maybe you didn't know that, but that's what it is. It's not revelation of end times. It's actually a revelation of Jesus. And it says that in Revelation 1, chapter 1. But in Revelation 3, verse 14, it says this, To the church in Laodicea. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Verse 15. I know your works. You are neither cold or hot. We're hot in here right now. Would you would that you were either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. But realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. What a beautiful promise that is. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you, Father, for the power of your word. Father, thank you that it has the ability to speak to us, Lord. Father, thank you that as we come around your word, as we come under the preaching and teaching of your word, Father, our lives change. Father, we, cons- we consume it and it's living and it's breathing and it helps us, Lord. So, Father, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would be- continue to do your work in our house this morning, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. And the whole church said together, Amen. I want to speak a message today, and it's so funny that it's a little hot in here today, but I want to speak a message titled, it's time for a refresh. It's time for a refresh. I want to speak about fresh faith, about the fruit of this thing called walking with Jesus and keeping things fresh in our lives, keeping our faith fresh, keeping our walk with God fresh, not allowing it to become stale. It's amazing to me that no matter how long we go along in this walk, whether you've been a Christian for a little while or a long while, it's all something that we encounter. This propensity that's within all of us to grow a little stale, to grow a little bit weak, to grow a little bit like stagnation is set in on our, on our lives and we can't move forward, but we need to occasionally hit the refresh button to refresh what's on our page as Christians. In any season, no matter what it looks like, We've got to keep refreshing the page. We've got to keep our faith fresh. I've been speaking from Psalm 92 to our church just lately. Firstly to our staff and then to our team. I've been talking about or, or speaking from Psalm 92, which is actually an anchor text for our house. It's a promise in Psalm 92. And I want to sort of go straight to it right, right now. But I've been meditating on it this week. On the last few verses of this psalm, but that psalm, the whole thing is just an incredible promise from God to us as believers that we can live in God's house and we can flourish and we can be a part of what He's doing and we can grow and we can just do amazing things. It's actually a promise to us as believers, but I want to read it in verse 12. It says this, the righteous flourish like the palm tree, sounds like Florida, and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish, there's that word again, flourish in the courts of our God. But listen to this, and this is what I've been meditating on almost all week. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. Fresh. There's a freshness to that. I love the way the message translation describes the promise also. It says they'll grow tall in the presence of God. I love that. Grow tall in the presence of God. Rise up in the presence of God. Life and green, virile still in old age. Or in other words, there's a potency to their faith. There's a potency to their faith. There's something strong about their faith, even in old age. No matter what the age or the stage is that you're in, there's a potency or there can be a potency if you keep things fresh. Come on, church, don't go silent on me. We should never underestimate the power of a fresh faith. 
Never underestimate the power of keeping things fresh in our faith. To have a strong faith, a potent faith, a faith that rises up consistently because we believe to see more and we believe God has for more for every single one of us. There's no exclusions. God has more for everyone. But there's such a tendency to allow our faith to become comfort-driven. Comfort-driven. My pastor would always say, he'd say, choose calling over comfort. So simple, but so true. Choose your calling over that propensity that's in all of us just to grow comfortable. To allow ourselves to be comfortable. I wonder how potent your faith is. I wonder if there's some potency to it. Some strength to it. Something that's just a driving force to it. When you observe your life, or if you were from a distance, would they see sap and green? See, Jesus, he made us aware of how important this is in Matthew 21. I think we're going to put it up on the screen. But in Matthew 21, the beginning of that chapter, Jesus goes triumphantly into Jerusalem, fulfills the promise that was prophesied all those years before. He goes into Jerusalem, the holy city, and the first thing he does is he cleanses the temple. First thing he does, he walks in there and he turns over the tables and he reminds the people of God that this is a house of prayer. This isn't to be treated lightly. But then he does something kind of amazing to me. He kind of loses his mind at a tree. Next. So we pick it up in uh, verse 18 of Matthew 21. It says, in the morning, this is after he's been in Jerusalem, in the morning, so, sorry, before that, he went and he lodged in Bethany. He left Jerusalem to Bethany, lodged there, and then he comes back. It says, in the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. He starts speaking to the tree. Starts losing it at the tree. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. See, Jesus is doing two amazing things right here. He's doing two, he's showing, on the one hand, he's saying, this is what faith looks like. Faith is like, man, you can speak it and you can move that mountain. Your faith can move mountains. That's what he's saying. But on the other hand, he's saying something about this tree. He's saying that this tree has no fruit. And the picture he's trying to give here is this is much like some believers, some people and when someone comes up looking for something, maybe has a passion or a desire or a hunger for the things of God, but find no fruit. Maybe it's a stale faith. Maybe it's a lack of faith, but it's kind of amazing that it says he became hungry. But all the while he's teaching his disciples something, he says, I, I became hungry and I went looking for some fruit. I found my way to this fig tree, but there's no fruit on it. See, what he's saying is, as Christians, we're going to be careful to always have fruit, to keep our faith fresh, to make sure there's something coming out of our lives. What are we offering the world? What about the people who will walk up to you looking for some fruit? What will they find? Jesus links the fruit up with our faith. 
But that's the point of salvation, isn't it, church? Paul said to Timothy this. He said, you are saved and called. See, it'd be great with salvation. I mean, I don't know, sometimes in my weak moments, I think about it. I'm like, man, it'd be great with salvation if we just went right on up into heaven. No work to do. Nothing to see here. Straight into eternity. But Paul said to Timothy, no, you're saved and you're called to a holy life. And it goes on. It talks about how it's all according to God's purpose and His grace. That's the point of the tree. That's the point of the fruit. That's why we've got to have a fresh faith, church. When it comes to our church, I pray that our church, our church would be full of fruit and that that fruit would be visible in Jesus' name. That people would come into contact with a body of believers who had actual fruit in their lives. They come into contact with people and they're like, man, there is something visible on this tree and I have a passion and I have a hunger and I want what you have. That's what the church is supposed to be for people. So they would collide with Christians living fruitful lives. And people on the outside would be offered something from us. If there's no fruit in your life, what are you offering to the world around you? If there's no visible difference, what can people grab a hold of? See, that's the thing about the the challenge for the church today, 2018. The governments and the, the legislators, they want to try to determine or push to the church what the church should be. But the problem with the church doing that is if we start to look more like the world, what are we actually offering the world? Are we conforming to what the world wants the church? doesn't matter what the world says about what the world says they need. The church just needs to be the church. So on an individual level, we need to have fruit. On a corporate level as a church, we need to have fruit. We need to offer the world something. We need to be able to say, hey, this is Jesus. That's why I love that in our literature as a church, we try to use the word Jesus, the name Jesus, as much as possible. It's the differentiator. It's like walking up to the tree and seeing the fruit. It's what sets us apart. The fruit sets us apart. Here's the point of my message. If you're going to write anything down today, just write this down. If I stay fresh on the inside, the fruit will keep coming on the outside. I'll say it again. If I stay fresh, if I can stay fresh, if my faith can just stay fresh on the inside, the fruit will begin to make its way on the outside. And if I can keep it fresh, and if I can keep it fresh, and even though the season feels a little dry, if I can keep my faith fresh, the fruit will keep coming on the outside. But if I allow my faith to grow stale, and specifically if I allow it to grow stale on the inside, it's only a matter of time, friends, before the fruit will go away on the outside. See, the fig tree just didn't produce or didn't stop producing fruit in just a second. It happened over time. It's not like all of a sudden there was no fruit on that tree. No, there was a process to it. And there's usually a process or a progression for us. So I wanted to sort of map it out for us a little bit. But there's a progression to us finding that staleness in our faith or allowing ourselves to get to that place. And it starts with familiarity. It's familiarity which leads to mediocrity and ultimately leads to the worst possible thing, which is indifference. Familiarity is, well, this is just what I'm used to. This is just what I know. I love when I looked up the word and I studied the word, the dictionary says this, a close acquaintance with or knowledge of something. Like that kind of, ah, I've seen that before. 
I know what that's like. Seen that before. Done that before. But how funny is it that we can apply that to the way we treat church and the things of God, that seen it before type of mentality. We have to be careful we don't allow familiarity into our worlds because it's simply not good for our faith. It's simply not good for our faith. It doesn't lend itself towards having fresh faith. Familiarity. See, familiarity is not necessarily all bad because we need to get familiar with new things and new systems and stuff and become uh, better experts at certain things. And in church life, that absolutely applies. But that sense of familiarity, oh, I've seen it all before. I'm used to it. I tell our team all the time, like, we didn't used to have this church. We didn't used to be able to walk into a building like this, even when it's hot like this, and raise our hands in worship and get lost in the presence of God. We didn't used to have this. Let's not get familiar. It's hard to have faith when you are overly familiar, because faith believes there is always more for me. Faith said that God can take me to a new place that I am not familiar with. I can go to a place that God has never taken me to before. And here's the, here's the truth, friend. You've never been there before. How can you be familiar with it? Familiarity can't grow when I have faith. But familiarity, it always leads to mediocrity. And mediocrity is kind of a state of being. Someone of mediocre ability or just this sense of, well, I'm familiar now. I'm just going to settle in it. Just going to settle in this place. And I don't know about you, but I could never pastor a mediocre church. I could never live a mediocre life because I'm just not okay with it. It doesn't line up with God's plan for my life. He's got so much more for you, friend. He's got so much more for our church. He's got so much more for what's ahead, even for what we get to in the future. He's still got more when we get there. Mediocrity begins to creep in, but it ultimately leads to indifference. Familiarity, mediocrity, indifference. And Jesus had a big problem with indifference. Not sure if you know. He had a big problem with indifference. Indifference is simply this. Up, down, yes, no, it doesn't matter to me. Indifference says, I don't really care. What do you want to do today? (laughs) Thanks, Timmy. Telling you, the enemy <laughs> trying to do something today. But indifference says, well, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care. You want to do this? You want to do that? It doesn't matter. I'm indifferent. How bad would it be if you're taking your husband or your wife or your boyfriend, your girlfriend, you want to do something real nice? go out somewhere real nice. You say, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to go do this? Do you want to go do that? And the answer comes back, doesn't matter. Don't care. I'm indifferent. You see, indifference is an enemy to our faith. When you read the Gospels and you read Scripture, there's three spirits or three strongholds, which are simply just mindsets, ways of thinking, that Jesus had major beef with. He had major problems with. The first is legalism. He couldn't stand legalism. He hated people putting procedure over other people. He hated it. He couldn't stand it. He hated seeing people put ritual and routine and religious obligation over a relationship with God. In Luke 18, I love this story. The story of the tax man, the tax collector and the Pharisee. 
or some people know it as the Pharisee who prayed. But it's amazing. Sets it all up in verse 13. It says, Meanwhile, the tax man slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands by himself. No one looking at him. No one looking at what he's doing or the way he's doing it. Just by himself, he looks up at God and he says, God, give me mercy. Forgive me, I'm a sinner. Meanwhile, the Pharisee is making sure everyone looks at him while he prays. And verse 14, it says, Jesus commented, this tax man, not the other, went home made right with God. If you walk around with your nose in the air, and I'm reading from the message translation, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you'll become more than yourself. See, he hated legalism. That was the first thing he hated. The second thing he, he really had a problem with is unbelief or a lack of faith. He despised the lack of faith that the Jewish people would have. But he marveled at the faith of the people who weren't included in the, in the people of God. See, on one hand, he's just like, man, I cannot believe that the very people who should have all the faith in the world have none at all. And the people who have really have no right to have faith believe that I can heal them. Believe that me walking down the street, I could do this for them. See, he had this massive problem with unbelief in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 8. This is when he encounters the, the centurion. When Jesus entered Capernaum, this is verse 5, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Verse 7, Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, look at the response. Lord, I do not deserve to have come under your roof. Or in other words, I know I'm disqualified, but I got faith. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority. With soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Look at, what Je- look at what, how Jesus marvels at him in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed, and he said to those following, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. So he spoke about unbelief. A lack of... Unbelief is an absolute antithesis to faith. Simply put. It's the complete opposite of having faith. If you don't believe. But we see it so much today. People say they have faith. Man, I've got faith. What are they saying? I've got ritual. I've got routine. I've got religious obligation. But they don't have faith. What does that mean? You throw all that aside and just have faith that God can heal you. Just have faith that God's given you grace. Just have faith that Jesus actually died for you and applies to your life. Faith. See, he loved that when people just believed that he could heal them. They didn't wear the right clothes. They didn't walk the right way. They didn't get in formation. They just tried to grab his cloak. They just tried to get in his space. Think of Zacchaeus up in the tree. It's like, man, it's not about... What am I doing? Because anyone could look at my life and say, what are you doing? But they had faith. And the last thing he had a problem with was indifference. Or in other words, the middle ground. The doldrums. The doldrums is such a funny term. It's It's a colloquial term. But it's so funny. It's actually a maritime term. I don't know if you know this or not, but the doldrums is that area around the equator. 
five degrees to the south, five degrees to the north, and any good maritime shipping captain knows you don't want to go near the doldrums. If you go through the doldrums, just understand there's no power, there's no waves, there's no wind. And before they had amazing massive engines on ships, if you encountered the doldrums, you got too close to the equator, there was a risk that you would be stuck in the doldrums for periods of months. Sitting on a ship, trying to get somewhere else in the world, stuck, the doldrums. But now we use it as a term for boring, stagnation, not going anywhere. But how true is it that for us as Christians, we don't want to go anywhere near the doldrums. We don't want to go anywhere near that middle ground. Literally, the doldrums is the middle of the, the, middle of the earth, the equator. I don't want my faith to get in the doldrums. I don't want to go five degrees south or north of the middle ground. I don't want to go anywhere near it. So I've got for us this morning three ways that we can avoid the middle ground in our faith. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says, he says, I literally spit you out of my mouth. And it's almost like he's saying, I would rather you be as cold as you can be than be in the neutral ground, be in the middle ground. Obviously, the goal is to be as hot as we can be and as on fire for God as we can be and loving Jesus as much as we can be and full of faith as much as we can be. But there's three ways we can avoid the middle ground in our faith to freshen up faith in our lives. Number one, recognize there is a middle ground. Understand that there is a middle ground for you. There is a middle ground for me. We've got to come to the surface sometimes in life and just realize, get real, we are not the exception to the rule. We are not the exception to the rule. I wonder what the middle ground is for you. I wonder what the middle ground looks like for you. Because we all have one. I think about those words. Familiarity. Mediocrity. Indifference. For me, familiarity is the middle ground. I don't want to go near the doldrums in my life. I don't want to go near that equator, that middle ground, because there is familiarity. And when I feel familiarity creep into my life, I need to do something to freshen up my faith. I need to do something. I need to figure it out. Just this year, January 1, I've been a Christian for something like 20 years now. I went to Barnes & Noble. I changed my translation. I said, I'm freshening up my faith this year. I'm doing something different this year. I'm going to change it up. I don't want to go near the equator in my life. I want to stay away from the middle ground. What is it going to take for you? Familiarity, mediocrity, indifference. So we've got to understand in life there absolutely is a middle ground. You've got to know what it is for you. What's your five degrees to the south or your five degrees to the north? What's that area for you? What does it look like? For some people, it's no problem at all to go over here. But for other people, it's different. Our walks are different. Our journeys are different. Our faith looks different for everyone. Number two, to avoid the doldrums, the middle ground, the neutral zone, set barriers to guard against going there. Put some barriers in your life so you never go there. For some of you in here today, I think a good barrier is just making sure you're in the house of God every week. We have this thing in our church, just a, a flat-out commitment to Sunday. Just a flat-out commitment to Sunday. That's my barrier. It's been my, ba my barrier since day one as a Christian. No matter what, and I'm, obviously I'm not trying to get legalistic and saying you can't take a vacation. But just this commitment to Sunday, 
Because there's something powerful about that barrier that you will put in your life. And when you get close to that middle ground, for whatever reason, season comes in, things change a little bit, and you feel like you're growing a little stale. You hit that barrier, you come into the house of God, you met with people of faith. You met with the Word of God. You come into contact with grace. You raise your hands in worship. Someone gives you a word. Something changes. And your faith is refreshed. Set barriers to guard against going there. Think about a ship headed towards the equator. Just put a barrier in place. Make sure you don't go there. What could it look like for you? I've got an iPhone probably like everyone. I mean, let's be honest. You got Android, you're weird. <laughs> kidding, I'm kidding. I have an iPhone, just got the new one. Jill and I were just upgraded, and it's like, woo! <laughs> woo! You know, I just, like, new iPhones don't really excite me anymore. They did, but they don't anymore. And so we went and upgraded because the truth is, what we had, I think we had like fives or sixes. It was just like, embarrassing, you know, you just you want to take it off the table at the coffee shop, you know, like just put it back in your pocket, don't want anyone to see that. But we upgraded and got this beautiful new iPhone. It's just like, man, this thing is sleek. It like can read my face, which is, I don't understand, so I turned that feature off because, you know, I got some problems with that. I'll just punch in a code, thank you very much. Get this brand new iPhone. But within a week, I didn't let it go even just a few days. I bought a case for it. And I didn't just buy any case. I bought a life-proof case because I know what I'm like. I know what happens to my phones if I have no case on the phone. That thing is gone, shattered, and I'll be back at the AT&T store for another three hours trying to get another phone. But I've got a case for it. I've got a life-proof case. But sometimes when it comes to our salvation, Paul said, don't neglect so great a salvation. When it comes to our salvation, how are we proofing it up? What barriers are we putting in place? What are we making sure of? See, the thing about my life-proof case is just a silly analogy, but I could throw that thing against a wall. I could throw that thing in the water. I could throw that thing in the pool. My kids could take it. Literally, my kids, they destroy everything, and they could take that phone and not be able to destroy it. It has a life-proof case on it. That's how our faith needs to be. Our faith needs to be proofed up. We need to put barriers in place so when we start to grow familiar, maybe a little bit of mediocrity wants to creep in. All of a sudden, it hits the barrier and bounces right off. Faith is freshened up. Something changes. And all of a sudden, we're back on track, moving off onto all that God has for us with a fresh faith and fruit on the outside. Amen? So the first thing we can do Recognize we've got a middle ground somewhere. Number two, set barriers to guard against ever going there. Proof up, put barriers in place. And point number three, position your life to grow. Get in position. Set your course to steer away from those doldrums. To steer away from that five degrees. To make sure that you'll grow. See, positioning is so important in life. How are you positioned today? I wonder how you are positioned. I wonder what your GPS reading is. I wonder what the course is that you're on. Do you need to move? I'm not talking about a physical move, but do you need to change something so you're positioned better to grow? 
do you need to change something so that you can be better positioned to grow into everything that God has for you? Maybe God's put leadership on your life. Maybe God's put business leadership on your life. What, do you, what could you do to position yourself better to grow? Because when it comes to a fresh faith, we need it for the walk we have. We need it for all that God has for us. You can't go through this life with a stale faith and keep on track. Something gets in. Something causes the, the, the momentum to fade. But if we're positioned well, it makes it so much easier to stay on course. If we're positioned in the right place, we can stay right where we need to be. I don't know about you, but I want to stay smack bang inside the will of God for my life. I want to stay in that place. Even if that means I've got to come to the reality and the understanding that I'm not the exception to the rule. So I've got my middle ground, but I put barriers up either side. So no matter what, when things start to maybe go a little south, I hit that barrier and I come right back into the middle, right back into the place that I need to be. How could you freshen up your faith today? What could you do today or in the coming days, the weeks, maybe the next month or so to freshen up your faith this summer? Truth is, fall's coming. Life's going to come swinging back into our lives, back into our peripheral. Kids are going to go back to school. Whole new season's going to start. Whole new year's going to start. What can we do now to freshen things up? to prepare ourselves. I know it's different for every single person. Team, you can come back up. I know it's different for you. But what I said in the very beginning, I mean with all my heart, if I can keep things fresh on the inside, it will guarantee that there's fruit on the outside. It will guarantee that when someone comes up to me looking for something, maybe a passion or a hunger for the things of God, they'll have something to grab a hold of. They'll have something that they can tangibly see. Maybe if it's just something that's visible to them. I think about people that are new to faith. People that are coming into contact with faith. You can just see it. I love when God gets on someone's tail. And it's just like he's put people around them. They're surrounded. You know, I love how God does that. It's like everywhere they go, they just met with another Christian. But maybe it's just something that's visible for someone right now. Maybe you just need to have fruit in your life so there's visibility for someone else. So they could see the fruit there and they can say, man, there's something amazing happening in that person's life. I wonder what it is. God's working in their life. And maybe they'll begin to ask the question, maybe I could have that too. Maybe that could be my portion too. Maybe that could be something that I get as well. Maybe I'll go to church. Maybe I'll check out this thing called faith and then it goes on and on and on and that beautiful story of salvation begins to unfold in that person's life and God writes the best stories, amen you want to stand with me, you want to pray for us time to freshen up our faith Well, Lord, I just thank you, Father, for this time this morning. Father, thank you that you love us, you call us. 
You cause your face to shine upon us, Lord. You have mercy, you have grace. You have every good thing for people who trust in you, who love you, who call upon your name. So God, in Jesus' name, Lord, I Father, I pray we could just open up our hearts to you. Lord, that we would soften our hearts before you, Father. Help us to have faith, Father, that not only moves mountains, God, but a fresh faith that has fruit, a fresh faith that is visible to people around us, God. Father, help us to understand that we can have that fruit in our lives no matter what the season looks like, no matter what part of the journey we're on, Lord, that even in old age, Father, you still have fruit for us. You still have an amazing life for us, God. And Father, I pray right now, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would identify areas in our life today, Father, that we can freshen things up. Help us to have faith, Lord. Help us to have belief, God. Help us, Father, to rise to the level that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's sing for a little bit longer. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We would love to connect with you. Join us on Sundays at church or visit us at www.colonialchurch.life.